The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Welcome to Fathom Church. My name is Chris. I am the lead pastor here. Glad that you are with us this morning. Hey, online friends and family, we love you. I hope you're doing well. Grab a Bible if you brought yours, and I hope you did. We're in James chapter 3 today. James 3 is where we're going to be. Underneath every single chair in this room, there's a hardback black Bible, uh, and you can open that up to James chapter 3. That will be on page 1012. You can open a phone or a tablet, though I don't think it's quite as sanctified to look at a screen for your Bible, but that's okay. You know, we will forgive you. Okay, James chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning as you're turning there. Uh, most of you know, I, I, didn't, I wasn't really raised in the church. Okay? I didn't go to church when I was a kid. Uh, but in eighth grade, a friend invited me to go to uh, like Young Life and to his youth group with him. And so I, I went. And, uh, and after youth group, when we would go, we'd go on like a Sunday night. After youth group, we'd always go to this pizza place right by uh, the, 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 the church called Louie's. And we would get cheesy bread at Louie's. And so it was just kind of like the thing. Like after youth group, we'd all go to Louie's for cheesy bread. And I quickly realized that they they played the shotgun game to determine who gets to ride in the front passenger seat on the way to Louie's after youth group uh, to determine that prized seat. And so we played that game. But, But they played it at my youth group a little differently. It wasn't when you saw the car that you called out shotgun. It was actually the first person to touch the car that was allowed to sit in that coveted seat. And so it led to many a foot race at our parking lot of our church. Uh, well, it must have been my first month, the first month of my time as a you know, kid at this youth ministry in eighth grade. Uh, we were all going to Louie's after church, and uh, I was racing another guy to t- try and touch the car so I could sit shotgun. And I, listen, I, don't, I know I may not look like much, but I'm fast. All right. I mean, I'll just take any one of you in the alley after church today. We'll just do it. Okay. We'll throw down, but I'm quick, but this guy was one step quicker. Either that or he, I I still think maybe he cheated in some way. I'm not sure. Uh, But, but he got to the car one step before me, touched it and he got shotgun. When I realized that I had lost that foot race, I used a very choice, explicit word just out loud. I just said it. And my youth leader came down on me like the plague, all right? I mean, just without any, we don't use those kinds of words here, Chris. It's like, whoa. It was, she, she, I mean, she was talking about cuss words, you know, like those four-letter words that you don't use. I didn't, I, I thought it was kind of weird because those were the only words I knew. <laughs> but I was new to this youth group, and so I, like, I guess that was a, a rule. And I've come to find out they had a cuss jar, you ever, anybody have a cussing jar, maybe in your home, or uh, there was a cussing jar at this youth group, okay? The cuss jar was there, um, and, and they had, so every youth had to put a dollar in the cuss jar every time you said a cuss word at youth group, and then the youth leader would amass that money and buy us more cheesy bread at Louie's. So uh, later, later on, as I kind of progressed in the youth group thing, I, I came to find out that they used our passage today as kind of the justification for the no cussing in church rule. They used James chapter three, we're taming our tongues. And so I was like, all right. Uh, But then I soon realized that my youth group friends actually did cuss. It was convicting to me because they, they, they cussed, they just did so with some safe, made up Christian cuss words. I don't know if you're familiar with this. You stub your toe, ding, flam it, right? And I checked that with the elders. That's not a cuss word. 
But that's what they would say, you know? Son of a Bathsheba, right? Holy Shadrach, you kidding me? That's bull chipping Joanna, right? No, 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 that, they didn't use that one. I just thought that one was funny. So you can write those down if you want. But, but my question was like, uh, do those count? Like, do those count as cussing? Because it kind of sounds like you're cussing, but you're just really being lame. Like, what, what is this? And then we ended up, you know, I, I get, get saved to go to this youth group, come to college and then seminary, and we plant this church. And, and when we started Fathom, we had some rough crew. We just had some rough people come into Fathom who apparently didn't know that the Christians don't cuss rule. Okay, some of y'all are still here, right? Um, but no joke, I had a guy come up to me in the hallway after church one Sunday. I'm standing in the hallway. He walks up to me. He goes, hey, great effing sermon, pastor. But he used the real word. In the hallway, at church, to his pastor, the F word. He used it. What is that, like $100 in the cuss jar? But that's where I come from, so I kind of felt like home. I felt, I felt encouraged in my spirit, right? My mouth started salivating for some cheesy bread at that moment, right? Like, I was ready for it. We're talking about the tongue today. We're talking about speech today, okay? And while I do think that you should probably curb your cuss habit a little bit, while I don't think you should cuss, I think sometimes Christians have taken this passage and kind of taken it, taken it out of context and really actually taken the, the, the bones out of it by just saying, hey, this just means you should clean up your mouth. Right? Like this, this passage has been used essentially as like a Christian version of washing your mouth out with soap. And, and I, while I think you should watch your language, I don't think that that's necessarily what this text is talking about. Actually, the tongue is one of the major themes in the book of James. Okay, we see this all through the book of James. In fact, the tongue or speech or our mouths is mentioned in every single chapter in James. Chapter one, verse 19, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Again in chapter one, verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, that person's religious is worthless. Chapter two, we just heard this. So speak and act as those who are to be judged. We'll get into chapter three, but in chapter four, it says, do not speak evil against one another. And then chapter five, verse 12 talks about, it says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth. It's, it's on repeat in James that our speech, our tongues are a big deal. James is very concerned with what we do with our mouths, okay? Additionally, the tongue is all over the Bible, it's not just in James. It's all over our texts. Let me give you a few references. We won't put these up. You might want to write these down. Proverbs 18, 21 says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life? In the tongue? R Paul agrees with James on this one. Okay, Romans chapter 3 Verse 13 and 14 says this, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. 
And then we can think biblically about this, right? Okay, uh, if you think about the fall, Genesis chapter three, the fall of humanity, okay? The first sin by Adam and Eve is this disobedience to God's command by eating the forbidden fruit. But then right on the heels of that first sin comes the second sin, and the second sin is a sin of the mouth. Okay, Adam slanders God by blaming him for his sin. I never would have done it if you hadn't given me that woman. Read, read Genesis three, that's the second sin. And then in Isaiah six, when Isaiah is given a vision of the Lord high and lifted up in his glory, in his throne room, what's Isaiah's response to seeing this majesty? Isaiah says, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. All through the text, I I could go on and on. All through the text, our lips are spoken of Old Testament and New Testament. So here's a couple of little fun facts about words. Do you know the average person speaks about 25,000 words per day? Some of y'all, it's a lot more. (laughs) Some of you introverts, you're like, no chance, right? But like, just just to give you a frame of reference, one sermon from me is about 5,000 words. So that means you're preaching five, th- five sermons every day with your words. You will, if you are an average human being, spend one-fifth of your life talking. One-fifth. I don't know how they figured that out, but they figured it out, okay? I'm trusting Google. You better take seriously what 20% of your life is spent doing. Okay, the tongue, our mouths, our speech is a huge deal. And we're going to see it in our text today. So let's dig in James chapter three. And I hope to show you that this is way more than, than starting a cuss jar at your house. Okay, I hope there's more to it than that. Look at verse one, James chapter three, verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness which didn't make my week start great, all right? Begins with teachers, okay? James starts this passage about taming the tongue and he talks about teachers. Now, now, what does he mean? Like, who, who is he talking to? To become a teacher, what does that mean? Because we are all at a certain level called to proclaim God's word, right? You think about Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. Go to all the nations, baptize them, teach them to obey, that's not my call. That's our call. That's Christian's call, the church's call. So, so what kind of teacher is James writing about here? Well, the Greek word that's translated into teacher in the ESV can also be translated master. This is the word that actually the disciples would, would call Jesus their teacher. Teacher, master, teach us how to pray. That's the same word. So we can conclude that that James is probably talking about a recognized teacher in the community. So this is what I think he's saying. Hey, don't rush into a teaching office. Okay, don't rush into a preaching office. Don't hurry into some sort of official ministry capacity where you become a, a proclaimer or a teacher of God's word. Now, now, for some of you here, God has for you to become preachers, to actually become pastors, to, to maybe plant a church. You may not even know that, and the Spirit is on you, and it's going to happen. But then, for others of us, this is also, I think, safe to include Bible study teachers, case okay, small group teachers and leaders, youth group teachers 
teachers, even Sunday school teachers, teaching our kids in Fathom Kids. Here's what I think James is saying. I don't think James is saying, don't pursue those things. Don't pursue teaching. But rather, I think he's saying, don't pursue those things lightly. Don't pursue those things lightly. Remember back to what we said a few weeks ago, that we're quick to listen and we're slow to speak. And in that section, I said, that means be quick to listen to God's word and slow to start adding your own interpretation to it. Be slow to start talking about it, to expound upon it. James is saying, hey, be very cautious when you embark upon the role of teacher at any level, whether official or unofficial, because there's this kind of tremendous problem that the tongue can rise. It can bring about sin. So here's where I'd like, uh, I think we can kind of bring it to all of us. Let me make my first point this morning. Be, be careful who you listen to. It's kind of the reverse side of this, but, but I think this is applicable for every single one of us. Be careful who you listen to. There's a greater weight of judgment laid on those who take up the mantle of teaching. But some of this is on you as well. You want to be careful who you listen to. Because there's a whole host of crazies out there doing God knows what with the word of God. Right? So when you hear a sermon or you watch a video or you read an article or a book, just be careful. Don't just... Eat that stuff without thinking. Be careful to note how much of it comes from a person's opinion as opposed to rooted in the word of God. Just be really careful with that, okay? There's so much out there that's kind of like cloaked as Christian, but it's really just somebody's opinion. This is why, by the way, picking and choosing a biblically sound church is so important. Like sometimes I'll hear people say, oh, you know, I picked a church. Uh, I'm just looking for a church that I like. Like, yeah, I think you should like your church, but just it's not enough to find a church that you like. There's a lot of things that I like that aren't stirring up my affections for Jesus even. I mean, there are a lot of even churches out there that, that center on hype or, or self-help or kind of like this project you. Just get, it's like a Jesus version of a better you, Right? And they're really not concentering on the word of God or pointing us to the way of Christ. They're more, they're more about you doing you and they just kind of sprinkle a little Jesus on top of that. Just throw a Christian bumper sticker on your life and make it a little bit better. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Let's keep going. Verse two. For we all stumble in many ways. Now that sentence made me feel better. It's like, hey, teachers... Be really careful, but we all stumble in many ways. So I was like, okay, good. He at least acknowledged that, okay? We all stumble in many ways. And if anybody does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So James in, in verse two just said that we all stumble with our tongues. Okay, this is a common sin. It is a universal sin, now, not every sin is a universal sin. There are some sins that you won't be tempted to commit in your life. Not every sin is common to every human, okay? Maybe your situation, like, so if you're not married, you're not going to be tempted to sin in the same way that maybe a married person is. 
It's just not going to happen because of a situation in your life, or maybe your predisposition and your wiring just doesn't lend you to a propensity to sin in other ways. That's okay, but, 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 but with this sin, the tongue, the speech, this is common to all of us. Every one of us has sinned with our words. So John MacArthur, Bible teacher, uh, preacher, he lists, uh, I found a list from him of all the Bible references where either directly or indirectly the disaster of the mouth is mentioned. So I just want to read the list to you. Okay, buckle up for this one. A wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, a complaining tongue, a cursing tongue, a, conten- uh, a contentious tongue, a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue, and an exaggerating tongue. From the scriptures. Do you see yourself in any of those? See, this is universal. He says, no matter, uh, no wonder God put your tongue in a cage behind your teeth closed in your mouth. (laughs) It's wild. Okay, I I read one guy said, remember your tongue is in a wet place and it slips easily. This is... This is a dangerous thing. It's the easiest way to sin. Maybe that's a good way to put it. This is the easiest member of our body to sin with. But James says, hey, if anybody gets their tongue under control, if they bridle their tongue, they are going to get control of their whole body. Now we're going to get into that in just a minute, um, but look at verses three through five because they give some illustrations. They elaborate, elaborate on this a little bit. So verse three, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey, obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Verse four, look at the ships also. Though they are large, so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So these are illustrations of small things that affect big things. Small things that affect big change. The first one he uses is the horse. Use the illustration of a horse. I'm familiar with horses, okay? Every Labor Day, my family goes to Lost Valley Ranch where we spend time riding horses. Now, I, don't, I, I know you, you look at me and you think, man, that guy is really into horses. Like, I know the first thing that screams when you meet Chris Martin is, bro's a cowboy, right? Roosters, all right? I'm like a farmer, okay? Like, I know that, that you think that, but listen, I actually know, it might shock you, I actually know how to ride a horse, I actually know how to ride a horse. I can. I've got some bootcut jeans. I've got some cowboy boots. I've not taken the dive into wearing a cowboy hat yet. That's just kind of off my plate. But I do have some cowboy gear, all right? And I know how to ride a horse. But here's the secret. I'll tell you the secret, okay? You don't have to be especially good at riding horses to control a well-trained horse. You don't. See, when I get up on the back of a thousand-pound quadruped... Okay, when I'm up on a back of a horse, I don't control it with my superior strength, as hard as that is to believe. Okay, 
I don't control it with verbal cues. I don't even control it with my superior athleticism, which I know is shocking to you all, okay? None of those things. Actually, a horse could throw me and break me if he wanted to. Any one of them. They could dominate and destroy me. But what allows me to control a horse and ride a horse is a little piece of metal called a bit that lays on the horse's tongue. They put the bit in the mouth of the horse and then by pulling on the reins, I can control the whole body of this magnificent animal that in the wild would terrify me. That's the first illustration. The second illustration is one I'm less familiar with. It's a ship because we're in Colorado. And if you have a boat in Colorado, good on you, okay? Compared to the size of a boat, James says the rudder is a, is a relatively small piece. It's this small piece, but the rudder is what allows the pilot to set the course of the ship. Both illustrations emphatically illustrate the power of the tongue, the power of speech. Okay, if it's controlled well, it's effective and wonderful and can direct things that are far greater than it. But if it's not controlled or it's controlled poorly, the disaster can be enormous. And now listen to me. Many of us have experienced parts of our lives being burnt to the ground because of the gravity of words. You ever hear the foolish thing we teach children? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Anybody says that to you, punch them in the face for me, okay? I'd take a broken arm over some things that have been said to me. And so would you. So would you. Let me make my second point here. You are what you say. You are what you say. If you want to argue this, send me an email, okay? We'll talk about it. But you aren't... (laughs) How do I put this? The things you say reveal something about you. They reveal who you are. You probably uh, remember as a child when you went to the doctor, the first thing the doctor would see is, open up, let me see your tongue. Like, let me see your tongue. This is James saying, hey, open up, open up. Let me see your tongue. Let me see your tongue. You put the thermometer under your tongue to gauge the temperature of your body. You put the word of God under your tongue to gauge the spiritual temperature of your heart. Our tongues reveal what's going on inside of us. They reveal what's really true about our hearts. You are what you say. Now, here's the, the, the thing that's interesting here. Uh, our world is completely obsessed with finding yourself. Right? Every Disney movie is about a princess running away from their home to find themselves. Let it go. Right? Like, that's what it's all about. We're obsessed with identity. How do you identify? That's the question. All over the place. You got to figure it out. You got to self identify as something. You got to define yourself. You got to find yourself to the extremes. We start talking about this in sexual identity, gender identity, lots of things. How do you identify? And I can see this in my life. You can see this in your life. I can see this in my life. I want to look a certain way, I want to be perceived in a certain way. I even want others to be envious of me in some things. Right? 
So we self-define. We self-define as suburbanites. I'm an upper middle class, drive an import vehicle, four bedroom house, great yard, ski pass. That's the kind of guy I am. But don't get too comfortable if that's not you, okay? Because the opposite is true. There's the blue collar version. I'm not some foreign driving, fancy coffee, drinking skinny jean wearing sissy, right? I'm a Ford man. Kill my own dinner. I know how to ride a horse, right? America, that's, that's the kind I am. But James just said, hey, if you want to know who you really are, you want to know the kind of direction that your life is headed, you better look at the rudder. You better look at the bit. You better look at your tongue. Now, I, I just want to say, think of how good a gift this is from God. That your tongue reveals, that your words reveal who you actually are. Think of the good gift this is from God. You don't have to wonder if you're materialistic. You don't have to wonder if you're obsessed with your looks, if you're vain. Okay, you don't have to wonder if you're just a jerk. You have to wonder those things because your words reveal who you are. Your heart is on display every single time you open your mouth, every word that you speak, every text message that you send, every comment you post on social media, that's who you are. That's who you are. But you're like, no, 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 no. That's not the real me. I'm just sarcastic. I'm just witty. Right? I'm just blunt. I'm just to the point. If you don't like that, well, you can back off, right? Really? Listen, you better realize those comments that you're posting on social media, they're a reflection of who you are. They reveal something about your heart. Your neighbor gets a great promotion at work and you say, yeah, but I hear they're really struggling in their marriage. Yeah, maybe, but you're a gossip. Your friend gets engaged and you say, well, it sure seems like she's settling. Okay, maybe it could be, but, but you are bitter deep down in your heart. Your buddy gets a new truck. Cool, cool, man, but I bet that gas mileage is a killer, isn't it? You're just, bro, you're jealous. You're jealous. You want the truck, or you want something like the truck, but you don't have it, and so you've got to somehow take them down a notch. The power of words. Here, I'll be honest about one of mine. Okay, one of mine. As a pastor, it's super easy for me to reveal what's in my heart. Just ask me about another church. Just ask me about another church or another pastor in town, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, he's a good guy. Oh, yeah, it's a great, it's a good, good church, good guy. I'm just not so sure I'd want to stoop to attractional ministry. I'm glad we don't do those kinds of topical messages here at Fathom, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, they baptized a bunch of people, but I heard they're not really good at discipling them. Do you see that's revealing something in me? I'm not making that one up. Those are, that's my thoughts. Those are my words at times. I'm revealing that in my heart, by not being able to celebrate kingdom work, I'm revealing, and here's why I can't, I can't celebrate, because I want it. It's covetousness. It's jealousy. It's stuff I need to repent of, ask forgiveness for. You are what you say. 
but James is going to give us hope. He will, okay? We are not destined to be frozen forever in this present condition of sinful words. He does this in the rest of the passage. Look at verses, uh, the rest of five through uh, 12. Here's what he says. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature. We talked about this in D group this week. What kind of sea creatures do you tame in the first century? Pre-Shamu. We're not sure. This is a good question, okay? Every kind of beast, bird, reptile, or sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. There's a lot in there, okay? And uh, the reason I read that whole thing is because some of that overlaps with what we talked about last week. But, but I want you to hear, our words are supposed to be a spring of fresh water. Our words are supposed to be like fresh water from a spring, like, like sweet fruit from a vine. That's what he's saying. This is right along the lines of the hypocrisy theme that we've seen thus far in the first couple chapters of James. You can't merely be a hearer of the word. You must be a doer of the word. You can't have faith without works. You must have faith that works. And now you can't speak words that tear others down and simultaneously use words that build others up. You can't from the same mouth utter curses and slander and gossip and then go to church and lift your hands and utter praises to Jesus. This is the seriousness of the tongue, the seriousness of our words. And James uses such a vivid illustration here when he talks about a forest fire. That's what he likens it to. In Colorado here, we don't have to stretch our imaginations too far to, to understand how great and destructive a forest fire can come from an errant firework or from a careless flick of a cigarette butt or, or from not properly extinguishing uh, a fire while you're camping. And all of a sudden, a whole mountain is burned down. So let me make my last point here, because as negative as this might sound, there is a positive, and here's what it is. Your words can change you. You should be careful who you listen to. And your words, they show who you really are. But the way out, the way to change is your words. Your words can change you. Our words, our speech, the tongue, it's powerful. They're powerful. It can tear down people. Words have torn down churches. They can destroy relationships. It can wreck a marriage. It can devastate a family. It can rip apart a nation. 
can lead to murder. It can lead to war. All of these terrible things can be ignited by the spark of our words. But on the other hand, our words can build up. Our words can create love and enthusiasm and encouragement and comfort and peace and joy. Our words are powerful. It's a powerful thing, the tongue. And and so I said I would come back to it. In verse two, once again, James says, if anyone can bridle their tongue, they can bridle their whole body. See, what you know what that means It means that that if I want to focus my Christian life on one thing, like if I want to get my act together and I want to bring my whole spiritual body under control, I ought to start working on what? My tongue. Now we realize it's not possible to have a perfectly holy tongue, right? He even says that. No one can do this. If he can, he's a perfect man. But to the extent that one does control his tongue, he will control his body. That's what he says. Why? Because the spiritual dynamics needed to control your tongue will therefore work to control the rest of your life. If you can work on this, the rest will follow. And if we get a hold of our tongues and control it, it can change all the rest of us. Here's some ways to think about this. If you want to change your life, learn to control your lips. If you want to change your world, learn to control your words. If you want to change your space, learn to control your speech. Want me to keep going? I'm a pastor. I can alliterate with the best of them. If you want to change your direction, learn to control your declaration. I can keep going, but, but words, they, they, they can change you. They can destroy, but they can change you for the better. So let's end with one of the illustrations that James uses. He talks about fire and he uses this in a negative way. Um, But I want to illustrate like this. Um, On our worst days, our tongues are set afire from hell and can spark such destruction that we could hardly even imagine what might come out and be a ramification of just words. But there's a secret here as well. And it's that one of the best ways to fight fire is by starting fires. Okay, so my mom used to live in Colorado Springs. Uh, and in 2012, uh, there was what, what, what's called the Waldo Canyon Fire. It was right by her house, okay? One of the most damaging fires in Colorado history. At the time, it was the most damaging fire in Colorado history, destroying 346 homes, Okay, her home was right along the foothills, uh, right next to the Air Force Academy up against the western uh, mountains there. And it was literally from, from her house. She could see the flames eating up other homes. Now, she got evacuated. She came up and stayed with Marcy, Marcy and I in Denver. Uh, but when we got let back in, there were homes less than a block away from her home that were complete losses. You could see homes devastated from our porch. Now, one of the ways that firefighters battle these kinds of forest fires, like, like the Waldo Canyon fire, is what's, what's called a burn line. It's a burn line, okay? And so firefighters will, will do controlled burns to form a burn line in hopes that if a fire comes up to it, it will stop because there's no longer any fuel at that burn line for it to consume, and thus it will contain that fire. They fight fire with fire, 
So sorry, to, and that's oversimplistic. If you're a firefighter, I apologize to you. That's probably bad. That's what Google taught me, okay? Um, but the illustration stands. The illustration stands. One of the best ways to fight the fire of negative words is to fight it with the fire of positive words. And if the problem here is verbal arson, setting blazes with harmful or careless words, then the solution is getting some tongues that are set on fire by the Spirit. And anybody remember where that happens in the New Testament? In Acts chapter 2. Like, ladies, you're in the Bible study. If you're in the Bible study, you're studying this. In Acts chapter 2, one of the signs on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit is falling on his people is that tongues like fire descend over top the believers, showing that the Spirit has come to the church. And then what does Peter do? Everybody thinks he's drunk, right? But what does Peter do? He gets up and he preaches. He gets up and he teaches. He gets up and he opens his mouth where he continually, if you read the gospels, keeps shoving his foot in his mouth with absurdity. But he gets up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches a sermon and the text says that 3,000 were saved and baptized that day. By the way, day one, megachurch. I mean, I don't like it as much as y'all, but it's there. The fire of the gospel has spread that way since that day. Through our words. Through our redeemed mouths. Y'all, what does your mouth reveal about you? What's the thermometer telling you? Are you angry? Are you jealous? Are you bitter? Are you desperate? Are you sad? Are you needy? Your words will show you. And look, you can try and justify it and spin it all you want, but your mouth has betrayed you. Your mouth shows what goes on in your heart. And this is good news. It's good news because if you were just left to wonder what was going on in your heart, you'd always think you're awesome. But we know the truth. God loves us too much to let us live in that delusion. Listen, church, Fathom Church, what if we just started being kind with our words? Like, what if we were just kind? What if we just started encouraging with our words? I got an email this week from somebody who used to attend this church, moved to a different state, still listens to the podcast, and he's like, brother, I just think you're on fire. Don't let it go to your head. I was like, thank you for the encouragement and the admonishment at the same time. What if we would just encourage one another? What if instead of tearing down, we started trying to build up with our words? I've seen some of you do this. Some of you are really good at it. Help us who aren't. You are what you say. If today you don't like what you're seeing, if you don't like what that readout is showing you, change your words. Change your speech. Change your declaration. Change your lips and you will change your life.
Let's pray together. Father, I bless you today and I thank you for the good gift that that words are. Fire, Father, fire is a good gift. It warms us. We can cook over it. Without it, we are in serious trouble in the upcoming months. And yet not contained in the proper place, it will set our, our lives on fire. It will burn everything down around us. And so too our tongues and our speech. Father, thank you for this great warning from from our brother James. God, I pray we would not begrudge what we see in that scan, but we would use it to motivate our hearts to change. That we would begin to to watch our words. (laughs) We'd be a place and a people of of encouragement, of, of building up, of just kindness, Lord. And we'd save the the sarcasm and the vitriol and the hate and the anger, we would not not use our mouths to set a blaze like that. We need your power, Holy Spirit, to do that. We need your empowering work in our lives to change our words. And, And Father, thank you that you have not called us to do anything that you will not empower us through your spirit to accomplish. Help us. We confess we need you in this spirit. We love you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the spirit.